First Samuel chapter two. First Samuel chapter two. And we started a series called Glory Culture. And what we're doing is uh, we're, we're cultivating a culture for this church and what this is going to what the church is going to be like. And in first Samuel, chapter two, and verse twenty nine, it says, wherefore, kick ye at my sacrifice and at mine offering, which I have commanded in my habitation and honor your sons above me to make yourselves fat with the chiefest of all the offerings of Israel, my people. Wherefore, the Lord God of Israel says, I said, indeed, that your house and the house of your father should walk before me forever. But now the Lord says, be it far from me for them that honor me, I will honor and they that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. And we previous weeks, we established, we defined what honor is, right? We said honor means to show great reverence, great value and significance. And, uh, and then we also talked about what despising means. And, um, uh, you know, some of the ideas about despising that you see is to think little of or not think much of it at all. OK. And we said that last time that despising is not necessarily something that you are disgusted with. You know, we, th we hear that word despise and we think like you I, I despise you mean I hate you and I, I'm disgusted with you. Well, despising could just mean that you are not thinking much of it or making it that important thinking about it very, uh, making it little and light, okay? It's, you're just making light of it. You guys ever heard that phrase before? Making light of something. You, you're not making it a big deal, okay? And, and it could mean just not even trying, all right? And in Malachi 1.6, you don't have to turn there. It says, a son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I be a father, where is my honor? If I be a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts unto you, O priest, that despise my name? And you say, wherein have we despised your name? You offer polluted bread upon my altar, and you say, wherein have we polluted you? And that you say, the table of the Lord is contemptible. And if you offer the blind for sacrifices, is it not evil? And if you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it now unto your governor. Will he be pleased with you? Or accept your person, says the Lord of hosts. And so you can see they're not even aware if they are. I mean, they're, they're asking a question. Hey, how are we not honoring? How are we despising your name? And they're not even aware of it, that they're just treating God's offerings, treating God's things with no respect and, and, and making very little of it not putting it on a pedestal of honor and showing it of great value and great worth. You guys see that? And so they're not giving their best at all. So there is something that I want to get into today that we need to continually be monitoring that we do not despise in our own personal lives. Okay, let's go to Mark chapter 12 and we're going to get into Today, I'm not going to do a lot of recap from the previous weeks. They're online because I want to get into today a little bit different. I haven't even got to what I thought we would be getting to yet. Um, 
But Mark chapter 12, Mark chapter 12, and we'll start in verse 28. It says, and one of the scribes, I'm reading from the King James Version, Mark chapter 12, verse 28, and says, it says, and one of the scribes came and having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, what is, which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered them, the first of all the commandments is hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is none other commandment greater than these. So we see here two specific places that our love is supposed to be directed. Number one, towards God. And then number two is towards people. And it's in that order as well. So what is number one? Number one is love for God. And then number two is love for people. It's not love for people first. It's not love for our fellow man first. It's love for God first. And actually, we don't have the ability to love people the way we should until we're properly and correctly loving God first. Because that's where the, that's where the love to love people with is going to come from, is loving God. Okay, right. The Bible says in Romans 5, 5, that the Holy Spirit has poured his love into our hearts, that the, the, the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Amen. And so we're not able to properly love people until we know how to love God. And so many people are confused about what love is. You know, people think that love is an emotion, that love is a feeling, especially right now. If you say anything to, to a person or to a group of people that's corrective, that's a rebuke, that you, and you can just be quoting a scripture, but if someone, if it hurts someone's, you know, feelings or if they get offended, they say, oh, you're not loving me. You're, that's not love. You know, if you say, hey, the Bible says to repent and seek the kingdom of God. I've heard people respond to that and say, oh, that's offensive. That's not love because it's offensive to people. Well, I'm sorry, that's wrong. Love sometimes will offend you and love sometimes will hurt. When you tell somebody the truth sometimes about, you know, maybe something's going on in their life, that is not always going to be a pleasant thing when you have to correct someone. Or you have to rebuke someone or say, hey, I noticed this is going on in your life and that's not right. The Bible says this. They're not going to be like, yay, I feel great. No, they're sometimes they're going to feel like, ouch, that hurt. But that's love. It would not be love if you never said anything to them, especially people you know and that you care about and you see that they're destroying their lives. They're doing something that could cause harm to themselves. And you just say, ah, well, whatever. I hope, hope they figure it out one day. Well, no, I mean, yeah, we want to hear from God. We want to, you know, hear uh, what the Holy Spirit has to say and how we could help them. But 
a lot of times it's going to come to the truth. And a lot of people, a lot of Christians today just don't want to hear the truth. They want to hear, hey, you're okay. You know, it's going to be all right. That, that's a lot of the messages out there right now. And no, we don't want to preach condemnation, but we don't want to tell people, hey, you're okay in your sin too. We don't want to say, hey, it's okay to live that lifestyle. It's okay to, you know, to be, to live in a homosexual lifestyle. We don't just want to just say those things are okay. But at the same time, uh, you know, we're not condemning them, but sometimes the truth is going to hurt and it will offend. Jesus said this. He said, don't think that I've come to bring peace. He said, no, I've come to bring a sword. There will be a dividing line between what is truth and what is not truth. It should be very clear to us. So we said love for God or Jesus saying love for God is first. You know, another way of saying that, you know, the Bible says God is love, right? And the word of God also says that Jesus is the, in some translations, he is the express image of the father. When we see Jesus, we see the father. And Jesus said in John 14, 6, that I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And so we could say that by loving God first, you who is love, you love the way first. You love his way first. You love his truth first. You love the life first. What, what do we mean by that? If someone you love and you care about decides to go another way, decides, decides to go to and get involved in a cult or something that is not of God, the way you know, okay, wait a minute, but I cannot go that way because I love God first. That means I love his way before them. I love his truth before them. And you don't even know how to love people until you properly know those things, until you know what is the truth and what is the way. How can you love them? Do you see why Jesus said love for God comes first? And this is not just an Old Testament thing. Love for God and that being number one is not an Old Testament thing. Jesus said, don't think that I've come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill the law. Okay, amen? Love is not just a Old Testament concept. Love is eternal. God is love. God is eternal. We're not supposed to love God less in the New Testament, in our New Covenant, than they did in the Old Testament. We're not supposed to try less. We're not supposed to give less effort in loving God. We're supposed to do, do even more because of what Jesus has done for us. We should want to do more. But love for God comes first, amen? And when you think about it, as Christians, sometimes we can be very selfish as Christians, right? We want to ask God to do so much for us, and we want God to give us so much and to express his love for us and to prove. Sometimes we want him to prove his love for us. And we're like, God, do you love me? Show me you love me. We may not say that, but sometimes we're thinking that. And, you know, we're, you, you, you know, maybe a month goes by and then we're starting to drag our, 
you know, feet a little bit as far as expressing our love to God. And we're almost like waiting for God to do something spectacular before we show them that we love them again. Well, that so many Christians live that way where they're asking God for much, but they're not willing to give God much. They're not willing to give God their love. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Let's change that. I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be a Christian that is constantly pulling on God. Show me your love, Lord. Reveal your love. You know, prove your love. God doesn't have to prove his love. He's already proven his love to us. God wants to know that we care about him too. He wants to know that we love him too and that his things and that he is important to us as well. It shouldn't just be us trying to get God to show us that he does care about our things and care about our lives. No. What can we give to God? How can we show our love to the Lord? In 1 Corinthians 8, in, uh, starting in verse 1, believe with me. You guys are believing with me, right? All right. First Corinthians 8 1 says, Now as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. Charity is just an old English word for love. Love edifies. And if any man think that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. But if any man love God, the same is known of him. Now, if you study this, Last verse, if any man love God, the same is known of him. If you study that last verse and you look up what that means, where it says the same is known of him, it has to do with the idea of God perceiving, knowing you. But you see the and you can look this up yourself. You see this idea of intimacy like between a man and a wife. And it says, when you love God, the same is known of him, that there is supposed to be this intimacy and fellowship with you and the Lord, just like there is between a man and his wife. The Amplified says it this way, but if one loves God truly with affection, reverence, prompt obedience, and grateful recognition of his blessing, he is known by God recognized as worthy of his intimacy and love. Man, so the key that, what is the key that would cause God to know us, to know us in this more intimate way? What would, uh, what could we do that would cause God to interact with us in in a way that he knows us more intimately and that he fellowships with us with us more intimately. Well, the key is says by loving him and God knows who really loves him and who doesn't. You know, that God knows who really loves him, who really cares about him or who's just putting on a show, who's just pretending. God knows and he sees our hearts. He's you know, the Bible talks about that nothing is hid from the Lord. Everything is open and naked before him with whom we have to do. God sees everything. He knows what's really going on inside of us. And, and you know, just like you, you know when people love you and they care about you 
And when they really are, you know, around you because they want to or they're just tolerating you, right? You know when people really want to be around you and they really care for you. Those type of people, you know, you, you can let some things slide by. Even things maybe that they're not doing right, that they're not, maybe they can be irritating sometimes or annoying in a certain way. But if you know they care about you and they love you and they have your back and they're for you and, and you genuinely know that, you, you, you want to be around those type of people. You want to have fellowship with those people. You want to get to know those type of people, right? Well, the Lord knows that. He knows who actually cares about him. He, actually know, he knows who actually loves him. And, you know, the Bible says or refers to us as the bride of Christ. You know, the Lord, our Savior, he is the groom and the church is the bride of Christ. And the Bible has some things to say about this. And just like a newlywed husband and wife, they're excited to be around one another when they first get married. They're you know, uh, they want to spend time with each other all the time. They want to do things with each other all the time. They are texting each other and they're happy all the time. And, and, and there's a fire and there's a passion. There's an intimate intimacy between them all the time. But if they're not careful and if they are not on guard, that excitement and that zeal and that enthusiasm can start to weaken, if you will if they don't do the things that they were doing to keep that excitement going. Those, that excitement and that enthusiasm can diminish and decrease, and pretty soon they can become lukewarm, if you will. And it's, they still love one another, they still care about each other, but they're not increasing in their love. They're not getting stronger in their love, they're just decreasing. The Bible refers to that as lukewarm and lukewarm is a condition between, you know, you're not hot, you're not cold. You know, cold, it's like when I think of this, I think of um, if you ever went to the ocean in wintertime and you, you know, sometimes we have family come visit and we've gone to the ocean during, you know, the holidays and that water is really cold. You get in there, you're like, whew, like, you want to get back out. You don't want to stay in there real long, right? Uh, it's cold. It puts you in the state of, let me, let me get out of this. And then hot, I think of you ever get in a hot shower or a hot bath where it's too hot. You put your foot in, you're like, whoa, whoa, that's, that's too hot. No, we like things lukewarm, right, where it's comfortable, where it's easy, and that's what lukewarm is. Lukewarm is this condition of you being very comfortable, where you're not, you're not progressing, you're not increasing, you're just, you're just indifferent because you're comfortable. It's easy, you're relaxed, you're just comfortable. Go to Revelations chapter three. You're just self-satisfied, you're, con you know, in a way you're, content where where you are that's lukewarm revelation chapter 3 in the book of revelation we see the laodicean church that had gotten complacent they prospered financially um, and they looked at this 
as meaning they have arrived to a level of spirituality. They got complacent in their, in their walk with God and where they weren't relying on the Lord as much because he increased them and he blessed them. And so they're not trying to increase in, in faith anymore. And they just became indifferent. So they were naturally rich, but yet you'll see they were spiritually poor and proud. In Revelations 3.15, it says, I know your works. Let me just stop right there. Notice what the Lord is saying. He says, I know what you're doing. I see what's going on. Yeah, you're a big church. You're increasing. You're prospering. Everybody's noticing you now. You know, you got some of the coolest worship music in the whole, you know, city of Laodicea. You know, you're even featured in the magazine, the, the fastest growing church in Laodicea. And you got thousands of people coming. And so, but the Lord is saying, I know your works. I know what's really going on with you. I see what's going on inside. I know where you are. Yeah, on the outside, everybody's saying, man, that's the place to be. That's the new cool church. That's the new mega church everyone should flock to. But the Lord's saying, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. And he says, I would that you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. You know, we have to be on guard ourselves that we do not get lukewarm in our lives. It's easy to read this type of thing and say, man, how, how could that happen? Well, we know that how that could happen. But even as, you know, um, the Lord will bless us and prosper us and increase us, I never want to get to a place where I become just self-satisfied, we're just content, where we're not endeavoring to reach higher, to go further, to continue to promote the gospel more, to do more for the kingdom. I don't want to just get to a place where I just say, yeah, I think that's enough. Let's just put it on cruise control and let's just coast the rest of the way. And if we do anything more for the kingdom or, you know, we'll let other people do that. You know, we'll, we'll let other people, you know, do some more and try to reach more people. I, I never want to get to that point where I put it on cruise control, where I get content and I get proud of where we are. I don't want to do that in my personal life. And I, I don't want to do that as a church. I want to continue to increase. I want to continue to do more for the kingdom of God. I'm not talking about overworking ourselves where we're, you know, everyone's stressed and, and, and we're doing more than we're supposed to, but I don't want to get complacent. I don't want to get lukewarm. Amen. I want to stay thankful. I want to be honored and, and, and content if, hey, if this is all that God wants us to do, I'm content with it. But I don't want to get complacent. Amen. And in the book of, uh, let me see how I want to do this here. Go. No, I'm going to read Song of Solomon. I know we don't read Song of Solomon a lot <laughs> in church on Sundays, but you can stay in the book uh, of Revelation. And I'm going to read uh, something from Song of Solomon. I'm going to read it from a different translation, the Good News translation. It's in, you can write it down, though, if you like. Song of Solomon in chapter 5. 
And before I read that, Revelation 3, where you are, 20, our groom, it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come to him and will sup with him and he with me. Do you see that the Lord wants to have fellowship? He's knocking on the door and he's saying, if any man will let me in, I'll come and sup with you. What's that? I'll break bread with you. What is that for? I want to have fellowship with you. I want us to share. I want us to have communion, common unity. Courtney, I want us to have fellowship with one another. I want us to get intimate and in, involved in each other's lives. Do you see that? The Lord is knocking on the door of his bride's heart. He is the groom. And in Song of Solomon, I think we'll see that a little clearer. And just to give you a, a quick background on this, this is the, the, the bride. She is having a dream, okay? And it says here in verse 2, I'm reading for the, from the Good News Translation. Just listen. While I slept, my heart was awake. I dreamed my lover knocked at the door. And the groom says, let me come in, my darling, my sweetheart, my dove. My head is wet with dew and my hair is damp from the mist. But his bride says, I've already undressed. Why should I get dressed again? I have washed my feet. Why should I get them dirty again? Now, I want you to see what's going on here. The, the groom is at the door of his bride and he's knocking. Let me in like the Lord, our groom. Let me in. I want to come and fellowship with you. I want to sup with you. But what if she, she's like, I already took off my clothes. I got my pajamas on. I got my slippers on. I'm laying down. I'm relaxed. I'm watching, you know, Wheel of Fortune on TV. I'm just relaxed here. You know, whatever. I don't, I don't know if people watch Wheel of Fortune anymore. That was just the first show that came to my head for some reason. But so she's just relaxed, you know. She's probably, you know, has a, a, a cup of tea or something, whatever she's drinking, and she's just relaxed, and she hesitates. She's in this comfortable state. Do you see that? She's in a comfortable condition, and because she hesitates, notice what happens here in verse 6. She thought to herself, just briefly recap verse 3, I, I, should I get dressed again? I already washed my feet. You know, they had dirt floors back then. Should I get them dirty again? So she's hesitating. Oh, man, do I get up and open the door for him? And then she opens the door for my lover, but he had already gone. How I wanted to hear his voice, I looked for him, but couldn't find him. I called to him, but heard no answer. So in her relaxed and comfortable condition, she missed an opportunity to have fellowship, to have intimacy with her husband. And the husband knew that. He knew that she was hesitating. He knew that she didn't just jump right up like, oh, he's here. And that she didn't just get up with excitement like, yes, my husband's here. He knew that, that she didn't get up with that enthusiasm and that zeal to be with him. And so he left. He just left. But the picture that this is painting is, yes, of a marriage that has gone lukewarm. She loves him still, and she eventually got up, but she did hesitate because she was comfortable. But 
It is also an example for us today. We are the bride of Christ. We are the church. And our groom, our savior, is longing and desires to have fellowship with us. And he desires to have intimacy with his bride. And we are not supposed to become lukewarm. We are not supposed to become indifferent to, to our Lord. We are not supposed to just become, uh, do I want to get up? Do I want to read my Bible? Do I want to worship the Lord? Do I want to pray? That should not just be a continual thing in our lives. There should be some excitement and some enthusiasm about reading uh, the word of God uh, and spending time with the Lord. Amen. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, he said this and his he was an English preacher back in the 1800s. Very influential. His teachings are still very influential to this day. Charles Spurgeon. He said this. Lukewarmness is a way of saying, God, I believe in you. You just don't excite me. Mm. Let me read that again. Charles Spurgeon said, lukewarmness is a way of saying, God, I believe in you. You just don't excite me. Man, <laughs> that's, wow. Uh, that's not good if we get to a place where we're not excited about God, where we are in this condition of just comfortable with our lives, comfortable with where we are, you know, I, I got my car, I got my house, I got my family, you know, we're just comfortable. God does not want us in that comfortable place. And yet, if we get like that, it is not God's fault. It's not God's fault that we get in that condition. In Revelation 2, are you guys still in Revelation? Revelation 2. This one chapter over from where you were. Revelation 2, and I will start in verse 2. This is to a different church. He says to them, I know your works and your labor and your patience and how you cannot bear them which, how you cannot bear them which are evil. And you have tried them which say they're apostles and are not and have found them liars. So this church, hey, they're, they're working hard, okay? They're doing what they're supposed to be doing. They're still working for the Lord. And they're even standing up for righteousness. They're saying, oh, that's evil. You know, that's not right. And so they're taking a stand for the Lord. But it, it, he goes on and says, and has borne and has patience. And for my name's sake, you've labored and has not, and you haven't fainted. So you're working hard. You haven't quit. He says, nevertheless, I have somewhat against you. And what does he have against them? He says, because you have left your first love. So who left their first love? Was it the Lord or it was them, right? It wasn't God's fault. No, it's us that has left our first love. It's us that have gone lukewarm and where we're not as excited and as impassionate and, and we're not as zealous as we once were. The, our love for God never has to weaken. It never has to decrease. It, it does not have to. Go to Jeremiah 2. Jeremiah chapter 2. 
It's okay if we look at the Word of God, the Scriptures. That's our standard. That's where we get our answers from, is the Word of God. Not our opinions, but what does the Word of God have to say? Amen? Jeremiah chapter 2, in verse 1, it says, The word of the Lord came to me. Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says. So the Lord is speaking. I remember the devotion of your youth. How as a bride you loved me and followed me through the wilderness, through a land not sown. So do you see how, just pause right here, do you see how the Lord, he remembers these things. He remembers personal, their devotion to the Lord. He remembers, this matters to the Lord. That's an indicator that should reveal to them, hey, wow, the Lord, he remembers our devotion and our love. It matters to the Lord. You know, it mattered to the Lord how much of their devotion and love he had for, they had for him. It goes on to say, Israel was holy to the Lord. The first fruits of his harvest, all who devoured her, were held guilty, and disaster overtook them, declares the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, you descendants of Jacob, all you clans of Israel. This is what the Lord says. What fault did your ancestors find in me that they strayed so far from me? Do you hear the heart of God? He's asking, what did I do? <laughs> what did I do to you that you have left me, that your heart has gone so far from me? I remember your devotion. I remember your love. What have I done to you that you have gone so far from me? What, what, how is it my fault? What did I do to you that you don't love me the same anymore, that you're, you don't have that same devotion and you don't have that same passion as you once did? You know, I don't want... And I'm sure you don't want this, but the Lord asking, hey, what, what happened? You're, you're not as on fire as you used to be. You're not as excited as you used to be. Do you see that? I, I don't want the Lord asking that. No, our love for the Lord is not supposed to be like a roller coaster. <laughs> you know, a roller coaster, it's, you know, you're gradually going up the roller coaster, you know, and if it's a real tall roller coaster, it takes a while, right? So you're increasing, your love's increasing for the Lord, then all of a sudden, it goes down. And then it goes back up, oh yeah, I'm excited about the Lord, yeah, I'm ready to get to church, I'm ready to read the word, I'm ready to worship the Lord, hallelujah, oh yeah, you're excited about God, you want to wake up early to pray, and then, uh, then it goes down again, it decreases and it weakens in a month or so. And then something happens and, oh, man, we're excited again. Oh, yes, Lord, I love you. I love you. I love. See, it's not supposed to be a roller coaster ride. It's supposed to continue to increase. Our love is supposed to continue to get stronger and stronger for the Lord. In Philippians, the first chapter, if you want to write these down, I'm going to show you what the Bible says about our love and how it's supposed to increase. Philippians 1.9, it says, And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. Notice that. 
that your love may abound yet more and more. Do you see the principle that our love can come up? That doesn't have to weaken and doesn't have to decrease, but our love can abound. It can come up. It can go to another level. It's not supposed to fade away. It's supposed to come up. Philippians 4.9 says, But as touching brotherly love, you need not that I write unto you, for you yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed, you do it toward all the brethren, which are in all Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that you increase more and more. What do you do? You increase in your love for one another. So it's an increasing your love for God and increasing in your love for one another. Because the love that we have for one another comes from, right, the love that we have for God. So it's not, does, does love have to get weak? Does it have to decrease? No, it can increase. Why? Because love is not a natural force. It's not just a feeling. It's just not a natural thing. Love is spiritual. God is love. And it's his love that we love him really with because it's his love that he's poured into our heart by the Holy Spirit. So, and his love is not corruptible. It's not corrupted by things that happen externally, by things that are going on in our lives. That love is not corruptible. It's a spiritual force. And this spiritual force can increase. See, if we're looking at it from our natural viewpoint, we feel like, well, how can I love God more? How can I get even more excited about God? And it's not you just, ooh, you know, trying to work up yourselves to get excited and, and you know, slapping yourself like a guy getting ready to, you know, um, lift 400 pounds on the bench. You ever see people try to hype themselves up and, ooh, ooh, and they're hitting themselves, <laughs> trying to get themselves hyped. Well, no, I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about this spiritual force can increase that our love for God can increase and it can get more, uh, abound more and more. First Thessalonians 3.12, another verse, says, And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another, toward all men, even as we do toward you. And all this, again, originates from us loving God first. We can increase. So that was 1 Thessalonians 3.12 and then 2 Thessalonians 1.3. Now, I could have taken the time to have you turn to each one, but um, for sake of time, I'm, I'm reading them. 2 Thessalonians 1.3, it says, We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith grows exceedingly, and the love of every one of you all toward each other abounds. So you see here faith growing and love increasing. You know, our faith, our love does not have to get weak. We actually should be increasing in our faith and love. We should be endeavoring to believe God for bigger, for more. We should be, you know, endeavoring to reach further in our faith to believe God for greater things than what he's doing, to believe and stretch our faith for more of what God has for us. 
and not just be content like we talked about earlier. We should be wanting to increase and stretch, stretch our faith so that our faith comes up to a higher level. Amen. Somebody agree with me, amen? Our faith should be coming up and getting stronger and more settled and more persuaded and more firm in who God is and he becoming more real and our faith becoming more stronger and developed. And that is what our love is supposed to do as well. Our love should be coming up and our love should be increasing. So have we seen enough scriptures to see, to show you though that Love is supposed to increase, right? Faith is supposed to increase. It's supposed to come up. And if it's decreasing, God is not at fault. If it's weakening, God is not at fault. So that should be an indicator to us when, when we're noticing that we're not excited. You know, and we're going day after day after day, and we just don't care to pray. We're not excited to read or now the enemy will try to distract you. He'll try to put things in your life to distract you. And he's very, it's a lot of stuff is seemingly good things. He'll put some things in your life. You're getting ready. You're excited to read. You're getting ready to read the word of God. And then you look outside and man, that grass is two feet tall. I need to cut that grass. And then you're distracted, your mind. And see, there's all, all these, those things can wait. Those things can wait. Some things are more priority. You know, it's like um, Jesus said, said to Martha, 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 Martha. You know, you're just taken about and worried, encumbered by many things. But Mary has chosen what is needful, and that's not going to be taken from her. So she knew, no, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about the teachings and about the Lord. And she was not going to let anything distract her from that. And so we need to recognize when we're starting to go, we're not excited. Let that be an indicator that something is going on that I've allowed something into my life that is causing my love for the Lord to decrease and to weaken, where I become lukewarm. Go to Matthew chapter 24, please. Matthew chapter 24. In verse 12, our love should not weaken. And if, if it has, that's an indication that we've allowed some things in our heart that should not be there. And in Matthew 24, verse 12, it says, And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. The, I want to read that in a couple other translations, the easy to read version says there will be so much more evil in the world that the love of most believers, believers will grow cold. It's not talking about heathen people. It's talking about sinners. And the Amplified, it says, and the love of the great body of people will grow cold because of the multiplied lawlessness and iniquity. There is a connection between this lawlessness, looseness, just whatever feels good, do it. Just nothing's that big a deal. You know, 
I just want to live my best life. You know, I'm going to secure the bag. I'm going to do, you're just thinking about yourself, all the looseness, seeing what you can do to get by. That's not that, it's not that big a deal. And that's how it happens. You start doing one thing. You start watching things that maybe, you know, it don't seem that bad, but pretty soon you're, you, you keep going and going watching things that are worse and worse. You just little, little by little. Notice it says that the love of many uh, shall wax cold. And the easy to read, it says, will grow cold. Grow cold. Growing is not something that happens overnight, right? You don't, a, a, a kid does not grow overnight. You guys all with me? Uh, you know, a toddler, it may seem like it sometimes. You see them in six months, you're like, wow, <laughs> what happened to them? They're tall. But you don't go from five feet or four feet to six feet in one day. It's a gradual thing. And that's what happens when we allow things in and we just become loose. We just become, you know, where we just are just too loose, too casual. And we allow things in our lives that shouldn't be there. And it's, it could just be weights, like Hebrews 12 talks about. You know, letting weights into our lives, these things that easily distract us, easily beset us. And it is a gradual thing. You know, it may not be something that you even notice right away or even the first month or first 12 months or first year. But year after year, you start to fade away and you start to decrease in your love for God. And you start to weaken in your love for God. We have to go back. Oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. We have to, but it's not supposed to decrease. It's not supposed to weaken. But the good news is, is that the Lord has shown us in his word what we can do so that doesn't happen. He has shown us in his word what we need to do so that we can increase in our love. Don't you want to increase in your love for the Lord. Amen. Go, go to Revelation. Go back to Revelation. We can love God more than we ever have before. We can be more excited about God than we ever have been before. We can be more hungry and, and, uh, to hear of God's goodness to spend time with him we can have more desire and more passion and be more on fire and more fervent than we ever have been before amen and the lord gives us the steps on how to do that in revelation 2 2 we were there revelation chapter 2 he says this i know your works and labor and your patience and how you cannot bear them which are evil and you have tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and has found them liars, and has borne and has patience. And for my name's sake you have labored and have not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against you, because you have left your first love. And so we said this again. Why did your love decrease? Why did your love weaken? Why did it cool off, if you will? Huh? Because you left. You left your first love. And then he goes on in verse five and says, remember, therefore, from where you are fallen. 
So this is number one, step number one. Remember how you fell. Remember what you allowed into your life. Go back and look and say, okay, what am I doing differently? What have I started doing? You know, is it the, is it the new, uh, you know, maybe you got a subscription to, I don't know, Netflix, Disney Plus, or, or some, and now you're constantly just binging, watching programs, watching TV. You know, maybe they're good shows, maybe there's nothing wrong with the shows per se, but is that where it took place? That all of a sudden now you're not interested in spending time with the Lord and you left your first love? You don't want to have fellowship and intimacy with Him? I don't know. I'm not saying that's it. I'm just saying go back, put yourself. Remember how you fell. Remember what you did. Okay, did I start hanging out with a person that doesn't care about God much, doesn't talk about the Lord much, that is not on fire like I am? Am I around them all the time? Put yourself to remember, cause yourself to actively think and engage. What am I doing? Am I, am I uh, you know, did I get this new phone now and I'm all constantly on it? I'm on social media now all the time. And, you know, what am I doing that I fell from my first love, that I'm no longer doing the things that I used to do? We have to actively do those things, that actively remember the things that have caused us to get away from our excitement. And then the verse goes on to say, so remember wherefore you have fallen and repent. That's number two. Repent. That's the second step. Repent for allowing all those things to become more important. And taking a place in your heart, taking a place in your life that it should not have. So number two, number one is what? Remember. Number two, repent. Repent that we allow that into our lives, that we allow that to be more important to, to us than God. We must repent. Nothing is more important. Nothing is worth sacrificing our fellowship and our intimacy with God. Nothing is more important than that. And I'm talking to myself too. Nothing is more important than sacrificing that fellowship and intimacy with the Lord of knowing his heart, knowing him, knowing what he wants for us, knowing how he thinks and what he knows. Nothing is more important. Nothing is worth sacrificing that fellowship and that closeness with God. It says, remember, therefore, from where you are fallen and repent and number three, and do the first works. Step number three is to do the first works. Do. Do what you used to do before you left your first love. Do what you used to do. If you used to get up early, five o'clock, six o'clock, you spent time with the Lord, and you prayed, and you had intimate moments of worship and fellowship with the Lord, do that again. Go back. You know, maybe you started going to bed later because you're binge watching TV shows or, or you're doing something. And so now because you're staying up late watching shows, you gotta, you're sleeping in late and you got no time in the morning to spend with God. Whatever you have to do, you go back and do what you did in the beginning. 
when you were excited, where you wanted to talk about the word, where you wanted to spend time with the Lord, when you wanted to get to church, when you were excited about the things of God, go back and do what you did before. You know, remember when you first even got saved, you know, I remember when I first got saved, I was a young, I was a young guy when I first got saved, but I wanted to tell people about Jesus. I remember that specifically that there was one individual uh, that, man, I wanted him. I was going to force him to get saved. And I remember I I put him in a corner and I said, you have to get saved right now. And that was not the way it should be done. I was just young. I was really young. But I was just so on fire. I wanted him to get saved too. I wanted him to know the Lord too. So I was going to force him. And I literally did. I said, say this prayer with me. He was like, no. I was like, no, you have to say it. Say this right now. (laughs) He was like, "Uh." he was scared. So he said it, (laughs) you know, but the point is, is that you have to remember the times that you were on fire for God. Go back to think about the things that the Lord has done for you. Has the Lord done anything for you that you could be glad about, that you can be excited about? You know, has he forgiven you of some things that, man, that no earthly person would forgive you, but the Lord forgave you? Has he done anything? Has he spared your life? Has he sustained you? Has he kept you from evil? Has he restored relationships? Has he restored family relationships, marriages, you know, uh, friendships? Has he done anything to heal wounds, to heal hurt in your life? Whatever it is, put yourself in remembrance of those things. You know, what did he save you from? What did he spare you from? Did he deliver you from death and from from uh Uh, from bondages, whatever it is, put yourself in remembrance of those things because the same God that wants to have fellowship with you and intimacy with you, he did those things for you and he's still there. He's still knocking on the door. He's still saying, hey, I want to come have fellowship with you. Hey, I want to have intimacy with you. I want to get to know you better. I want you to know me better. He's that same God. He still loves us the same and we can increase and we can come up if we do these things. If we remember where we fell, if we pinpoint it and then we repent and we do. Amen. Amen. You know, it's like a a fire. We don't have to try to do everything all in one day. We don't have to. You know, all right, tomorrow I'm getting up. I'm praying for three hours and then I'm going to fast for a week. I'm going to read the whole Bible in one month. We don't have to try to do everything all at once. It's like a fire. How does a fire start? I'm not talking about, uh, you you know, cheating and and spraying it with some lighter fluid or some propane gas. Uh, A fire, you get some kindling, right? Some small twigs, branches, you get those lit on fire. And then after that, you, you add a little bit more twigs. You add a little bit more fire and then uh, add a little bit more, um, you know, uh, branches. And then you got that going pretty good. And then you get a smaller log on there 
and then that's going pretty good and you can put another log on there and then you can pretty soon you can keep adding and adding and then you have a sustained flame you have a sustained fire going amen it's not doing it it's not trying to do all everything all at once but hey we can say all right you know what tomorrow i'm gonna get up and i'm gonna spend X amount of time with the Lord. I'm going to read the word. I'm going to do those things. I'm going to get back on track doing the things that used that I used to do that'll build a fire, that'll build a flame inside of me to a sustained passion and excitement for the Lord. Amen. We hope this message has encouraged you today. For more information on our ministry or to donate, visit onewayministries.net.